We're back to the Total Celebrity Show on the Total Radio Network. Again, TotalTutor.net for more information. Twitter, Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, and Pinterest, Neil Haley. And anytime I get to talk to my brothers in wrestling, I get excited. And I've had some very interesting stars on. But what I, I see this star is when I was not even into wrestling, really wasn't what was watching it as a, you know just something to watch. Never thought I'd ever be a professional wrestler. So he definitely is old school in that way and being trained by Charlie Fulton and having this different thing. We're going to have a fun conversation. So celebrity fans out there, you're going to learn about when wrestling was wrestling. So I want to welcome the program, Brian Blair uh, from the Killer Bees, WWF star, and much, much more, Brian, as you're going to tell us in your career. Thanks again for calling, man. Whoa. Big Neil, the real deal. Brian, yes, sir. Let me tell you something, Big Neil. I just took a cruise down A1A and stopped by my favorite lady's place at Hazel's Honey Hut. I picked myself up a quarter orange blossom special because I knew I was going to be on the show with you. So I chugged it on down, and I felt my toes start tapping. I felt my wings start flapping. And now I'm ready for some jaw jacking and back cracking with you, Big Neil, the real deal. Six foot ten. And all the women chase you again and again. I don't know what you got, brother, but you are the man. All right, Brian's all fired up for sure. Awesome. Let's kind of go right specifically in your career. Did you always want to be a professional wrestler, Brian? Yeah, let me calm down here. Of course, Neil, I always wanted to be a professional wrestler ever since I was in fifth grade and I got caught with food stamps at the USAFE grocery store by two sixth grade bullies. And they harassed me unbelievably before I got out of that U-Save with the food stamp uh, little uh, coupon uh, change receipt that my mom told me I was going to get since my mom and dad were divorced and had five siblings and tough life, but uh, it was good, you know, but I wanted some meat and was tired of Spam and powdered milk, powdered eggs, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, next day I went to school. My mom dropped me off about 300 yards from school, kissed me so I could, you know, pretend like I walked to school, number one, and number two, I didn't want any of my friends to see me kiss my mother. I thought, heavens forbid, you know, that, that would be terrible. So I walked to school to the front of Egypt Lake Elementary School, the Saltry Street, and there's a, a gathering of people around the front of Egypt Lake Elementary School on Sly Avenue. And I start to walk up to the front of the school to see what's going on, and uh, I'm kind of in a hurry, and all of a sudden I start hearing, there's Blair, there's Blair. Look, there he is. And people are laughing and staring, and all of a sudden I look, and the ugliest words in green spray paint were written all over that school, the front of the school. So I ran all the way home. I don't think I, I stopped at all. I ran. It was about a mile mile and a half, and uh, not that far enough, like I was running the marathon, but it was a long way uh, for a fifth grader to be running and crossing Sly Avenue, that's for sure. And anyway, uh, Mr. Agliano, a teacher of, uh, of mine, came, spent about two, three hours with me, and gave me the total motivational rah-rah speech, you know, if you believe in yourself, you uh, you can be anything, you know, when you believe, you achieve, and when you achieve, you receive, and he, I'll never forget those words, and he, he poured it on, and, you know, I, I totally, uh, I totally uh, bought into him, and just uh, so happened that uh, I loved wrestling, I started watching wrestling on TV, and I asked him if he thought I could be a professional wrestler, and he said, I just told you, you could be whatever you want to be. You got to put your mind to it. You got to, you got to really focus. But the first thing you focus, uh, focus on is 
there's nobody better than you. Uh, there's nobody more important than you. Uh, we're all the same, regardless. And you've got to go back to school and get yourself a good education. Uh, regardless, you could get hurt wrestling. And uh, anyway, uh, I uh, kind of fell in love with Jack Briscoe as the time went on. But uh, back then, Eddie Graham and the great Malenko were the big headliners. And as uh, I got into high school, uh, you know, I kept following Gordon Sully on championship wrestling from right. Florida every Saturday, and we'd go to the Armory every Tuesday night in this sweaty, sweaty place. But it was packed with like three, three thousand, thirty-five hundred people. And golly, um, uh, it just happened so fast. The uh, the wrestlers did a thing for the sheriff's villa, uh, boys, girl, boys and girls. Uh, the sheriff's uh, sponsored this uh, big thing for for children, and also uh, Eddie Eddie was into that. The Bristols were into that, obviously, since Eddie was the boss. And they'd also go to the amateur uh, wrestlers' meets to look for you know maybe future talent. And they came to a few of my my meets, and I had been getting some publicity at that time. And um, lo and behold, I started babysitting Betty, Buddy Colt's kids and. It's just like everything worked out to I finally got my chance to go to the sportatorium in Tampa where they basically beat you up until you leave. It was, you know, Eddie wanted everybody to be able to protect themselves and nobody to say, hey, you fake wrestler, you know, that sleeper right, doesn't right. work. And you can't put that sleeper on. You had to know how to do everything. Plus, you had to be a tough guy or you were going to leave because in the first in the first summer before I went back to school, to college, uh, probably, oh, close to 100 people came. And, well, probably, I, I would say, maybe in the first two thing, about 100 people came because the only three that made it were Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, um, myself, and Hulk Hogan. Oh, my. Wow. We were the only three out of, uh, you know, like, 50 people, you know, 60 people one summer, 40, 50 people the next summer, and people would literally leave their meal with their clothes left behind. They would leave in just whatever they decided to get in the ring with, a pair of tennis shoes and a pair of shorts, or some people even had outfits and boots and jackets before they even knew a wrist lock from a wrist watch. It was, it was kind of funny in a way, but uh, they, they always wanted to hurt them, and I never wanted to, you know, break anybody's arm or... You know they they were pretty 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 brutal there. And uh, as a matter of fact, the first three days, Hiro Matsuda was the main instructor. And I don't know if you remember Hiro Matsuda. No, I don't. But he was a tough, tough Japanese guy that was barefoot, and he hardly ever smiled until you got to know him. And um, I never thought I'd get to know him because the first day he exercised me so hard, I rolled out of the ring. Um, after he stretched me all over, rolled out of the ring, lost everything I had in my stomach, and um, I just, uh, he just looked at me and he said, come back tomorrow, same time. I said, yes, sir. So it's the same thing, next, next come in the next day, Tuesday, and same thing happened. He stretched me, the same result, I rolled out of the ring. Wow, nothing left in me. He looked at me and kind of wondering, he whether I'd come back the next day. He said, okay, you come back tomorrow. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Matsuda. And I came back Wednesday, and same thing. Uh, 
stretched me, beat me up. Uh, pretty, I mean, I could handle myself. Now, I was very, very good amateur. Well, I didn't want to say very good. I was just, I was, by high school standards, I was a really good amateur right. wrestler. And, and uh, not a bad street fighter because of all the names and brutal things that went through me. And I worked out really hard and um, spent a lot of time in the gym to relieve frustrations and played a lot of sports. I think to this day, I think if you Google, I still have the, uh, most letters at Tampa Bay Tech High School. And the third day when I rolled out of the ring, he jumped down to look at me. He wanted he just wanted so bad just to watch me throw up and quit. Right. And I did not throw up. And he looked at me, he said to me, Neil, he goes, What's the matter, boy? You know puke today. And he took his foot and lifted my chin up. And I looked at him right in the eye, and I said, Mr. Matsuda, I've had nothing to eat since the last time I threw up. <laughs> and he said, I saw him turn his head and kind of crack a smile. And so he said, you come back tomorrow. And I came back the next day, and he took him a little bit more easy on me, and then no more puke happened. And it just started uh, into a great relationship. Uh, that, uh, it started into a great relationship that... Um, um, it allowed me to be what I wanted to be and live the dream that I always dreamed about since that young age. Oh, my. Well, you know, it's very interesting, Brian. I had the same experience in Iron Mike Sharp's gym when I was just doing it as a summer thing before I decided to get trained by Charlie. And they did rough us up, and then they taught us to rough, but not to that point. And I think that it really did help the business in so many ways, Brian. Brian, that uh, that they did these things because the right people were in the business, not like today where anyone could put on a uh, uh, put wrestling boots on and call themselves a professional wrestler. And uh, I, I, I respect that beyond belief. And I kind of wish I did get that beating that you got or really worked hard like that when I started, because it really kind of grounds you with humility and understanding where you're coming from. For sure. Oh, absolutely, and it allows you to. Back in those days, when there was, uh, you know, case aid, and you protected the business, it allowed you to be able to protect yourself and um, protect the business at the same time. And um, uh, and believe me, there was a lot of smart Alex, and a lot of times when you had to do that, <laughs> very, very interesting. But uh, again, I, I'm grateful that I did it that way, and uh, I. I I really uh, think the people that did break in that way, the people we were talking about earlier, the Steve Kearns, the Hulk the different people like that, they, uh, they've they all made money. And, you know, that, that wasn't the only school that did it like that. Of course, Vern Gagne's school did it the same way. So, um, you know, Kent Patera and all the guys, Rick Flair, that came out of that school. And then, of course, the third place that did it the same way, where everybody kind of had the same concept and the same philosophy about training their young talent before they ever stepped a foot in the ring. The third one would be Stu Hart's uh, dungeon in Calgary. Wow. So if you're from one of those three places, the odds are you've made money in the wrestling business. And and that's where that was. You go get trained in these places. And, and if you can't hack it, you're done. And so when you talked about three people only lasting, Paul Orndorff, Hulk Hogan, and yourself, People would say, I, I know who Mr. Wonderful is. I know who Hulk Hogan is, you know, just walking down the street. But yourself, uh, it, you 
weren't a journeyman, but in the territories you were a huge star and kind of explaining to people specifically how large the territories were. I worked in a semi-small, small territory when territories were dying, Burt Prentices, and then I also did some stuff for USWA. But this was just these regional territories. The business was much different then. Explain that to us and then ex- explain your run in, in Tampa's territory and stuff like that. Uh, territories were much different, and um, um, I had a lot of runs. You know, in Florida, I was the uh, the Florida heavyweight, two times Florida heavyweight champion, two times Southern heavyweight champion. You know, I wrestled with Flair three times to a one hour draw. Main evented all over the place, but at the beginning, you didn't. And the, you know, you would wrestle literally. My first year, I only had one day off, wow. and it wasn't. Cr- I had one day off, and I don't really remember which day that was, but this is how we would do it. Monday would be uh, Fort Lauderdale or Fort Myers. Tuesday would be Tampa, which was always my favorite place to wrestle. It's hometown, but it's just the way the building was and the electricity. As I said before, there's 3,500 people packed in an unair-conditioned place. Uh, every night. So you, you did wrestle on Tuesday in Tampa. Then Wednesday at 11 o'clock, you would start television. And you would have at least two matches, sometimes three, on television, for television. And those matches wouldn't go any longer than 10 minutes, generally. Then um, from television, you would have to go to Miami and drive there 350 miles if you couldn't afford the $60 uh that everybody pulled together, not everybody, but the top guys pulled together to uh, get into an airplane. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, then you get back to Tampa, very, very late if you were driving, obviously, and even late if you were flying. The matches didn't get over until 10, 1030. So um, Thursday, we would do Jacksonville. So we'd have to drive up to Jacksonville, a couple hundred miles up to Jacksonville, come back to Tampa. Friday would be... Um, Another, like a spot show, what we would call a spot show, we'd go to some town in either Chiefland or uh, just a different, smaller town in Florida that was maybe run once every two months. Right. And uh, Saturday, we would do either Lakeland or the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg. And Sunday, every other Sunday, you had a double shot. I don't know if you're counting how many matches this is, but you... You would have a double shot every other Sunday. You would do the High Life Fontan in Ocala at 1 p.m., and then you would do the Eddie Graham Sports Arena yeah. in Orlando. It's crazy. At seven. So you're wrestling, you know, 10 times a week um, on the average. That's that's a lot of, uh, you know, that's a lot of uh, uh, wear and tear on the body. Yes, it definitely is, and you guys didn't do as crazy things as some of these guys do now, and that's why their careers last such shorter time because of the story and about really wrestling and things. But I remember working six nights a week for a year and a half, and man, it taught you how to work for sure in front of a crowd, and that's what you did at the beginning, as you said. You were you were you were pretty much not a, the, the journeyman type of uh, wrestler to start your career before they gave you the big push, so that you learn from these great veterans and stuff, right? Right, right. We had some great veterans to learn from, and I was very fortunate, you know, being on the on the cusp of where I was uh, when I started in like '78. 
you know, guys, the really good guys that were from the fifties uh, and the sixties were retiring. And, you know, you had the, I think I had a few people's last matches, like the big old big Orton senior and, um, Angelo Poffo and, um, oh golly, um, the Vachons, Maurice Vachon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so I got to have, a, you know, some of the last matches and at the same time, you'd have the guys that had been wrestling for six, eight years, um, that were good workers like uh, uh, Rick Flair and uh, Steve Kern and Ted DiBiase and guys like that um, um, who were older, but, um, you know, that, that knew a lot. So I got to see a lot of generations. And, I, you know, I just wrestled. Um, you go to YouTube, uh, look up Brian Blair and Port Ritchie and see me wrestle uh, last week. And I wrestled uh, two days before that in uh, uh, Charlotte at the Fan Fest. That was right after I just had a quad tendon tear. So that was my first two matches back um, after a pretty steady schedule um, prior to that, at least working on the weekends. It's like I have a saying, you know, you can take the the wrestler out of the ring, but you can't take the ring out of the wrestler. It's just... It's in your blood. It's. Yeah. I, I agree. I, it was very hard for me to to cut my ties completely from it at a very young age. Meaning, I was twenty nine after starting at twenty. So I did nine years in the business, made a couple little comebacks, but it's still in my blood. And and I love talking to you guys about these things. And, and like you said, you, you this is what you did. This is what you loved. So in that territory time, so you're still working. And what? How old are you now, Brian? But if you don't mind me asking. No, I don't like asked it. I'm 57 now, and I'm in uh, uh, really good shape. I've never gotten out of shape, but it's hard uh, when you're rehabilitating for an injury. You're concentrating on your leg or whatever, but um, um, I've, if you watch match, I wrestled a 37-year-old guy, and he got winded, and I didn't. Same thing in Carol, uh, in the um, uh, in Charlotte, in North Carolina, Um I wrestled Matt Riviera, who was like 30 years old, and he was puffing and puffing, and, you know, I was ready to go another 20 minutes. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's how you take care of yourself, uh, how you move. I mean, you know, at six foot ten, you, Neil, uh, it's got to be tough to go too long of a match. I mean, you're carrying some big, big weight and kind of look at it and remember Andre the Giant when I think of you. And, uh, you know, Andre was the kind of guy that uh, he couldn't go a real, real long time. Um, yeah, the South made there. me do those 30-minute matches, really. They were rough. The South did that. They they really they made us work those long matches. So, yeah, I mean, but I understand, yeah. When we work out in the gym with some of my guys from Charlie's and, man, they work us, and, and I'm like, geez, we're going to go 25 minutes? Are you kidding me? Just doing holds, you know, because that's how Charlie taught us. And basically, you right. know, working around and all this stuff, I'm like, I'm huffing and puffing 25 minutes. So finally, let's take it home. And it, did, it definitely did help in so many ways, especially if you're the heel and you're putting the heat on the guy the whole time and the babyface is just selling. 
So it is, it is what it is. So that's amazing to know you're still working. But again, you got to think about it. So why, Brian, and this is a question, uh, and I want to get right into a little bit of the WWF. Why did your career after the WWF, you never, ever went back again to one of the big orgs, you know, TNA or D- WWE or different things like this that, you know, you're still working and there are guys your age still working in the big time in certain aspects and have those well, options. Well, the thing was is that I still was working. I had my contract for New Japan Pro Wrestling, so I was going there eight to ten times a year. Plus, I, I owned uh, four Gold's Gyms, and I also would work, uh, for example, 1993, one of my favorite tours was in Russia with the Samoans and Ken Patera. Uh, I wrestled their big Russian heavyweight guy, and they wanted to bring... So here I am trying to teach this, you know, Olympic champion... Uh, how to, you know, wrestle without killing each other and still being able to, uh, you know, we'll say hello to our family after the match and uh, or our friends or do whatever <laughs> and, you know, just be able to breathe and uh, have a match the next day. So that was an interesting challenge. We did that six days in a row. Fortunately, Bam Bam Bigelow, uh tagged, uh, tagged me and wrestled the guy twice. I wrestled him four times, and so it was... Uh, it was uh, interesting there, but that's just one of many. I, I've been to over 50 countries, right. and most of those were without the WWF yes. at that time. Yes. WWE at the time. So even though you didn't see me on WWF or TNA, I never really stopped wrestling. I haven't stopped wrestling uh, at all since I was uh, 21 years old. And that's that's a definite testament in certain aspects. But we look at careers of NBA players, different things that, you know, they disappeared in the NBA, went overseas and all that. So it's the same kind of situation. But then, you know, you're 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 doing your craft. You're doing what you want to do. Not the wrong gimmick, all the different uh, types of things. And you make those right decisions. Your WWF experience, because, again, kind of just kind of because we could have hours of talks because I, I mean I did some research just on your wiki but I understand the biz that you went through the territories the territories then you went to another territory which was McMahon seniors territory and then at that point in time uh, that's when the mer- the, the the WWWF became the WF WWF right three W's to to two right am I correct and correct that's correct and I worked for Ben senior like you said he's the one that got me started in Japan and then um, when I left and came back to WWF, uh, <laughs> when the yeah. other W was dropped and uh, Vince Senior had passed, um, they wouldn't allow us to go to um, uh, Japan without you know their blessing, and it just wasn't in the stars for me. So I had to uh, just buy the WWF wave. Not that that was a bad wave; <laughs> that was a great wave. Um, but anyway, that's. Uh, um, how that worked out. So the killer bees, and this this is where a lot of people remember you, especially my age and different things. That experience in tag teams and working some great tag teams was that an amazing experience, especially when you saw wrestling just take its take off. This is where it finally became a mainstream thing that people knew about everywhere, not just in the local territories. You can go all over the world and people recognize you now. Tell us, like, once the television hits in the 80s and you're with uh, the Killer Bees, that, was that just the kind of just point where you're like, okay, wrestling has totally changed in my expectations and, and mainstream recognition and everything? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, 
being on TV where you're in 150 different countries um, is, is very powerful. You know, people know you everywhere. I've wrestled in places that you've probably, you and your listeners have probably never heard of for the most part. And, and uh, that's a place that I wrestled in called uh, Brunzel and Frenchie Martin, a whole bunch of guys, Bam Bam. We went to a place called Kota uh, Kintabalu uh, on the uh, island of Sabu. Oh, wow. Uh, and um, it's, it's, a, it's an island off the Malaysian coast. But these were things that were done non-WWF. WWF-wise, I mean, we'd still go to Italy and... Oh, God, there's so many countries. We were on the first trip to Australia, to, to New Zealand, to, oh, gosh, just many, many, many countries. And um, uh, watched WWF just explode. You know, I was there in the middle when, uh, in, in 85, I was in Atlanta when um, TBS did, actually did the first go into another person's territory deal when the whole crew, Tommy Rich and uh, Paul Orndorff and uh, Tony Atlas, myself, Tito Santana, um, we uh, went to Columbus, Ohio, and we started making that a regular, uh, the Ohio Territory, a regular venue off the TBS television. And then there's a long, uh, there's a very interesting history between Vince buying TBS uh, then him having to sell it back, he bought it for a million, sold it back for two million. The Briscoes were in on that. I mean, maybe Gerald Briscoe would be a great guy to get on your show. I'd love to that. talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. Was we'll definitely keep uh, keep in touch in these things. They're such great stories, uh, for sure. But with that experience in WWF as the Killer Bees, with your own action figure, T-shirts, and the whole thing, it really I think helped. Uh, brand wrestlers so that they can become more after WWF and still be able to be that name going to different towns and different things and live off of it in certain aspects, except if your gimmicks, uh, you can't push it in certain ways, but it really yeah. is. No, go ahead. No, when you agree, when you agree, Brian, that that's where wrestlers learned that they, they are brands and they can merchandise themselves and they can make extra money, not just in local territories after they have a run like the WWF or WCW. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. There's a lot of money to be made in the merchandising. And when we had our second uh, action figures come out in 2010, I mean, we still, uh, I mean, we made a lot of money off that action figure and, you know, people still get we still get royalty checks because um, now there's a 24-hour wrestling channel, which really cut into everything, and there's a big uproar about that because nobody's getting a nickel off that. Even though everybody worked hard and on television, you would work television and only make 25 or 30 dollars. Uh, you know, in these territories where they're using like the. Uh, the uh, Texas television or the Mid-South television or the Florida television or the <laughs> different televisions uh, that, of the territories that Vince had. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great subscription. I'm not trying to be a salesman for WWE, but for 10 bucks a month, you know, you ought to watch all the pay-per-views. Yeah. You know, watch anything you want to watch, any territory. Uh, you can name the guy and have the territory, whatever, 
Really? Wow. Oh, that, that's, that, that's, that's awesome. Especially the, the names that I did wrestle in my career, because again, being six foot 10, I got to wrestle lots of guys like you all the time and later in the career for sure. And, uh, if I was yeah. going to make a comeback and say, Hey, I will, I'm going to wrestle Brian Blair in Tampa. I would work you because you're old school. And, and even though I have a bad back and am a little skinnier, we'd have a great match because I've learned from the best as well. And I'd, I'd enjoy having a match with you for sure. You're a great guy. Oh, We'd have a great match, you know? Absolutely. And, and and once you learn the business from the right people, it's it's sad what we're seeing in this business. We're seeing that guys don't want to make money anymore, Brian, which saddens me. And I'm kind of finishing up the show in that way where I think it's hurt the business and where guys will work in ECW for hardly any money and different places and things like that. And so we're professionals. And they would rather be stars than make money. And and it hurts us because it it hurts the business in general because it was all about, hey, we were professionals. Any professional in any other sport would never say, I'd rather be a star than get paid. Would you agree in that fact? I, I agree. I agree. And one thing you kind of made me think about is um, so many guys that made a lot of money have just, you know, blown it. Yes. And, and you know, unfortunately... Um, uh, well, fortunately, we have the uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club, and I would encourage your members that like that enjoy wrestling to please go to caulifloweralleyclub.org and become a member of the greatest philanthropy there is. Um, the only one for wrestlers. I mean, we've given out over a hundred thousand dollars in the last ten years. People, fan, people that have you know made them happy through through wrestling, and uh, for some reason have. You know, falling on hard times, whether it's medical, and believe me, probably 60% of it is medical. They didn't have insurance or something, and and they're getting drained to death. And so, fortunately, we have the ability to help the wrestlers because of the wonderful fans that uh, join the Cauliflower Alley Club for $25 for a year or $300 for a lifetime membership. And so much comes with that. It's not just the fact that, you know, you get five issues of the year, which is stuff that is not on the Internet, is stuff that uh, it's comes snail mail, but it's like uh, six pages of some of the most interesting uh, stuff that you ever want to read if you're a wrestling fan. And also the fact that we have a convention, uh, which is generally held in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. This time this year we'll have our 50th anniversary. Can you imagine that? 50 years. And that will be on April 13th, 14th, and 15th in Vegas. And we have uh, $32 or $36 hotel rooms, $100 or $110 for the event, which includes some awesome meals. And um, you'll there'll be new uh, young WWE wrestlers. There'll be wrestlers from the past, probably at least this year we'll have at least 300 wrestlers and probably uh, six, 700 fans. Really That's good great, fans, yeah. okay? fans that understand the business and don't harass the guys too much, and we all become friends, and that's what's really nice about it because I've made so many friends that are fans that have just become some of my closest friends. 
Well, definitely. Well, we're going to have to talk if you're involved with the Cauliflower in that way that maybe we could do some interviews to promote the event and get some of the other wrestlers on to promote it and throughout till the event comes. And I think it would be great to try to do some segments on that for sure and uh, help out in any way and get more and more uh, promotion for it uh, via my via my Twitter and all these different things because I, I, got, I think it's a great thing for sure. I know you're the man, Neil, so uh, if it can be done, you could do it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm very blessed that I was just uh, uh, nominated as the president-elect. Now I've got a lot of big shoes to follow. Nick, Nick Bockwinkle is stepping down the first day of the uh, reunion coming up, so I will be the president of the CAC. And, you know, you've got guys like Luthez and Bronco Nagurski and uh, just uh, Red Bastine and wow. all these guys that were top top wrestlers and to be named the president just kind of blew me away well you definitely are living as a wrestler meaning keep your career going working every town and all over the world and and constantly want to promote the business and look at wrestling as an important thing for sure brian do you have any place to contact you where's the best to contact you social media wise or anything like that Facebook, uh, Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, you and I are LinkedIn buddies. Um, uh, or um, my email, Brian Blair, Brian Blair dot com. You know, I answer my email when I get it, and um, uh, generally that <laughs> keeps me up at night. But uh, I don't mind. Um, and the easiest way, though, is is the social media route. Uh, also, uh, Twitter, Killer B One B. Okay, well, I'll have to follow you on Twitter for sure as well and uh, and do all that. And, it, and it's it's so interesting. I had the Memphis story on a couple of weeks ago for this great Memphis documentary because, again, I, I learned so much from Southern Wrestling and to get to talk to you. And one thing, Brian, you got to tell a lot of your guys, if they say they're not promoting anything, they don't want to promote the business. And I'm just giving you this as a straight uh, shootout to all the guys that say, no, I won't do your show because I'm, I'm, I have nothing to promote. There are fans out there that just work, paid their hard-earned money and loved hearing and loved to hear back from you guys. And the more you keep your name out there, it's the best for sure. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, Big Neil, the real deal. It's always a pleasure being on your show. I mean, it's been a wonderful pleasure. And anytime you call me, I'll be there. All right, we'll definitely do that. And I'll shoot you an email with some ideas of how we can promote the event in April and even do some interviews on location with some of the guys, especially the older guys that don't get that PR. No one wants to talk to them anymore, and they're the most interesting people in the world. And one thing, uh, Neil, that maybe we could talk about next time is the fact that I was a real commissioner in a, in a state that is... Uh, 1,072.8 square miles, almost the size of Rhode Island. I had to get more votes than seven other governors did. And, uh, you know, that was a, a great thing in itself. Served on the Citizens Advisory Committee for two years and at-large county commissioner for four years and still wrestled. We got to do part time, part two for sure. You're, you've too much to talk about, man. So it's good talking to you, Brian. Good, great talking to you too, Neil. Take right. care. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. 